Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Welcome to... Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, and humbly, I'm one of the best Boston Celtics podcasters out there. I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, El Nino. Celtics. And I am beat- not so humbly one of the best podcasters. No, you are not humble at all, but uh, you are also one of the best Celtics podcasters out there. This is Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, joining us from the depths of the Wells Fargo Center, where he just witnessed in person what I can only describe as a wild and frankly strange game of basketball where the Boston Celtics force a game six. The obvious headlines is Jason Tatum. Just a a no-show in terms of scoring the basketball to start the game, uh, but then scores, I believe, 16 points in the fourth quarter, knocks down four threes, outscores the Philadelphia 76ers, who did not have a field goal in the final six minutes. And in what was a, a kind of a defensive struggle, the Celtics somehow pull out this game Jay, you were there. Explain to me what the hell happened. I mean, that was a really, like, just tense game from the start. The Celtics, obviously, they went big, and it produced a great start. They got up 15-3. They, their defense right away was awesome. Uh, a number of the players said afterward that they were really excited to see Robert Williams join the starting lineup again. We have to we're going to talk later about the just a, a bevy of post-game comments that I thought were interesting, but uh, that was definitely one of Marcus Smarts were the most interesting for sure. <laughs> uh wild decision for him to say what he said, but that's okay. <laughs> he uh Robert Williams was a plus 18. They actually took him out of the game for down the stretch and the 76ers kind of they adjusted to that by putting George Niang out there. Um, so we'll see how that, that kind of evolves as it was a, in, in game seven. It was a definitely a chess match. Like it was the first game that is like a lot of adjustments going on because I do think going big certainly helped the Celtics offense. And you're right. They kind of, in the second half, they countered with Niang and the Celtics kind of countered that. We're like, all right, we're not going to put Rob Williams in the corner. We're going to put Rob Williams directly on Joel Embiid. I that thought that opened some things up for Embiid and the the Sixers offense that way, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that that kind of works out for the Celtics. I like also with Tatum struggling so much, the Celtics after coming out, I think starting the game nine of twelve for three, 
just went through this stretch in the second and third quarter where they could not hit a three to save their life. And I do think, although Robert Williams had such an impact on the uh, game defensively, the spacing is clearly much more difficult for them to figure out when he's on the floor uh, offensively. And I don't know if that was one of the reasons why they had so many turnovers in the uh, third quarter. I think they had five, uh, but it definitely felt like they had a lot less space to maneuver. So it's like, it's, it's definitely, it's going to be interesting to see how both coaches play it moving forward. Cause Robert Williams clearly made a huge impact. I thought it was just like great defensively, but the Celtics also until Jason Tatum started making shots were not the best on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah. And I thought, Robert Williams' impact, this, this is going to sound weird, and maybe people will call me an idiot. <laughs> it, it felt like his impact extended even when he wasn't out there. Um, Ooh, you are an idiot, but go because, on. No, but the Sixers in Game 5 started feeling good about themselves. And that makes the, the late-game shots easier. That makes, I guess there weren't like, wasn't crunch time in that game, but that makes everything easier when you're feeling good about yourself. Fourth quarter... Second half comes, De'Anthony Melton misses a bunch of open shots. James Harden can't get it going at all. Um, Tyrese Maxey actually had a, a very good game for the start, but again, like he missed some shots late. It just felt like the 76ers never had a rhythm, and, and that was, I thought, largely because of the way the Celtics started the game defensively, just kind of took all of that away. It made it a super tense game, made it a game where – you know, b- both teams were just dug in. And I do think that has a cumulative effect. Um, m- maybe I'm an idiot, but it, it felt like that mattered in the end. The 76ers just shot 36.1%, just eight for 34 from three. Um, and honestly, like second half, fourth quarter, they missed a bunch of like pretty decent looks that, that could have turned the game. And it, it was, I mean, it was super tense. <laughs> just a really, it felt like a game seven, where like scoring was just at a total premium. Everybody's just like trying to find anything that worked. Uh, Celtics had a ton of turnovers, ton of missed shots after they were super hot to start the game, and I thought they were going to crack. I thought they did crack in the third quarter, and they just kind of kept it going. They just found a way to stabilize themselves. I thought Jalen Brown had a couple of key buckets. I think Philly went up five at one point, and Jalen drew free throws, and then he had an and one, and that just kind of helped the Celtics regain uh, the the feel of things or regain uh, their stability because for a second there, like George Niang hit a huge three, and it felt like the 76ers might just run away with it, honestly. Yeah, and it, like – it felt like they had the Sixers had something in that Niang moment, but then they never really went back to him. They were kind of scrambled. Like Doc Rivers made all sorts of substitutions trying to figure out who that fifth guy was going to be down the stretch. We got some Melton moment, moments. We got some PJ Tucker moments. Um, and the Celtics were fine with basically PJ Tucker doing anything. I think you're right, Jalen had some big buckets there, especially just to keep things close in the, the, the third quarter. And I also just think Marcus Smart was in a game where like Malcolm Brogdon really showed up in the first quarter, made some huge buckets uh, to keep that game close. I think he had 11 points in the first quarter. And then obviously Jason Tatum finished late. 
But throughout the game, consistently, I just felt like Marcus Smart was the the player on the Celtics with the who was the like the most adult in the room, which is not like what you would all like love and trust Marcus Smart as much as I do. Him as being like the prime decision maker and adult in the room is not normally the role that I'm would want to assign for, to him. For Marcus Smart. Yeah, like he he sometimes makes some really bad decisions, yeah, but I, I think he's typically very good at that though. I think he displayed that tonight and I just thought he was very solid and especially in early in that fourth quarter when the when offense was at a premium, I just thought he did a good job of just like you know randomly driving through Tobias Harris to get buckets or just making the right decisions in transition. He finished the game 22 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds and I just thought he was huge down the stretch and making uh, the right play after right play, even even in he, moments where he, he didn't did. make the right play, where he just dribbles the ball into nowhere and dives and blatantly fouls Tobias Harris and then gets a timeout. It's, that, that was, was just, that <laughs> was almost such a bad mistake. He really like like shoved the shit out of Tobias afterward too. And if the Sixers still had their challenge, they probably could have used it there. What's but, wild about that play is that he started like running up, pushing the ball up court because. Like the 76ers missed a shot and Joel Embiid and James Harden just like shrugged their shoulders and like completely gave up. And it felt like it threw Marcus Smart for a loop where he's like, I don't know what to do with just like these two sad men walking behind me. And then it just led to that. And luckily, I guess they got a timeout there. But that was very bizarre from the Sixers because there was still two minutes left at that point. And it was just like, oh, Jason Tatum's going to make a third three. We can't really like if they honestly looked like they gave up with two or three minutes left. This was so close to being an all-time bad game for Jason Tatum. Like, like all-time bad game. Uh, the type of game you spend an off-season just dwelling on, sitting in, reflecting on. Um, and then he just took over. It was a stunning shot. I've never seen a game like that where a guy is just totally awful. And it looked like for at times he was even rattled. Like he he pulled up or started to pull up for three and then just fucking threw it away. Like decided to stop shooting the three and just threw it away. He had the moment where he had the clear path foul, which was totally bizarre because then Tyrese Maxey um, or Embiid took the free throws that Maxey was supposed to take and he hit them both, but then they had took him off the – scoreboard to then let Maxi shoot him which was just an in- bizarre situation um and then he came out and like the last five minutes he hit four threes and just absolutely carried the Celtics out of a super bad situation where it looked like the 76ers were going to end this series and the season and leave Tatum with a similar ending to the one he had last year where he went missing in the finals against the Warriors. And then he just rewrote everything. It was I've, – I've never seen a game like that where a guy so drastically did not have it and then just in a split second like just took over. What is more impressive – his 46-point performance in Game 6 last year against the Bucks, or becoming the first player in the last 20 years. Oh, I'm trying to find this stat where it's like to 
be basically not hit a field goal for the first three quarters and then outscore the other team in the fourth quarter. What is what is more impressive in, in your opinion? Um, I mean, both are wildly impressive. Obviously, <laughs> it's 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 hard to say tonight when he was so bad. He almost cost him this game. Like they should have been up twenty to twenty five in the first half. He missed several layups, like some open layups. He was bunny smoking left and right. And then I, I thought the rest of his game was okay in the first half. He had a bunch of rebounds, a bunch of assists, but couldn't shoot anything. And and then like the rest of his game started being impacted, I felt like, where oh, he started yeah, making I, bad decisions because he was like feeling the weight of his bad game and what it was going to cost the Celtics. So to recover from that and to finish the game on the run that he did, scoring 16 points in the fourth. A 14 to 1 run. I can't say it's more impressive than last year, but it reveals a a resilience to him that the Celtics desperately needed tonight. That was his most resilient performance at the very least. And I thought it was very cool, like, the comments after the game about his teammates be, like, especially I think Rob's comments, like, yeah, we just kept on telling him, like, you're making the right play. The ball's going to reward you. It might have not been true for some moments there in the third quarter, but, like, clearly there's, like, the the team believed in him. And they, like, they need him at this point. Like, they, when they're not making threes, like, the Celtics offense looks so good in the first quarter when they're making threes and then looks so bad when they're not. And then when he returned and all of a sudden just like made three again, threes again, it just makes their team look so much better. And uh, wildly, they actually shot over 40% from three tonight, which is their magic number. But a lot of that had to do with just Tatum hitting four in the final four minutes. But I, I did think it was like cool to, how, to hear about how much his um, teammates were basically just like telling him to keep shooting because like that's only like that's what you need to do in that situation. They needed someone to score especially with Jalen. I don't think he had a shot in the fourth quarter. He didn't really look right ever since he like slipped on the floor or wasn't necessarily nearly as aggressive after that. He said he like hurt his knee or something, but he seems to be fine. Um, But they needed something to change. Otherwise they were, their season was going to be over. And if I guess just, He's the, one of the best basketball players in the world. He's an all NBA first team, second time, uh, second year in a row for a reason. Yeah, it uh, it really felt like the Celtics were just cooked. I could not stress enough how much it felt like the Celtics were cooked. Um, there was one play when Al Horford just decided not to shoot a wide open three, and he ended up finding Malcolm Brogdon for a good look, but it was like, Ooh, they're they're dealing with a confidence crisis at the worst time right now, and it felt like they all did. And that third quarter was like <laughs> they were done. They they were they really were cooked. They were getting and stripped every time they were like went to the rim. Like yeah, they Tobias just, Harris stripped Malcolm Brogdon twice. Um, five turnovers eight, eight, in that corner. That yeah, how bad. many turnovers did they end up with? Eighteen, and. Uh, so it was just like it. <laughs> it really felt like they were done. I, I was convinced they were done. I thought there was no chance they were coming out of that game 
with a win. And then they just kind of hung around. Um, and let they made the a- Sixers be the Sixers. This is the second, like, if we throw out game five, because the Sixers are up by so much in that game. But the fourth quarter in game four and the fourth quarter in game six, the Sixers offense completely went to shit. And reminiscent of kind of the Celtics crunch time offense of last year. And it wasn't necessarily that they were turning the ball over, but it just felt like they kind of have the problem of getting into that like prevent offense. Everything kind of slows down. They don't really start anything until eight seconds left. And it just felt like well, James Harden not being in rhythm. They they just didn't have a field goal. They, they just were not good. And it creates some sort of confidence for Celtics fans that if the game is close late, they're not necessarily going to have the the clutch uh, offense or the, the late game execution just because this is two consecutive games. They managed to pull out game four, but they let the Celtics back into that one. And just it feels like the Sixers offense doesn't isn't great for whatever reason down the stretch. I don't know if it's whether Embiid's tired, but he's not the same dominant force in fourth quarters that he is in like the first half of basketball games. I thought he was OK in the fourth. Um but the Celtics did a pretty good job on it. He had six points, but the the uh, they were able to keep him off the line, which was huge. And Al just kind of contested him, forced a couple of of close misses on him, and just kind of avoided the the amount of key buckets that Philadelphia needed to to surge ahead. There, they, they shot just. Oh, go sorry. Go go ahead. I'll... No, go ahead. I was going to say they did it like I thought Rob Williams being in the game and being that help defender really had a, a, a big impact in slowing him beat down. But I'm just looking at my notes for like the final five minutes. And Malcolm Brogdon, I think, was the one who finished off that game. So I thought the Celtics did a pretty good job of defending Embiid with a smaller lineup on the court. It felt like in the kind of the chess match going back and forth is like, oh, the Celtics have some some advantage when they have the double bigs in there. But when they go to single bigs and it's just Embiid, the Sixers have an advantage. And then the Celtics kind of have the advantage when Embiid's on the bench and it's just trying to figure out how to line those things. And I was kind of worried about how they were going to defend him down the stretch and still get buckets with having just one and big out there. But down the final five minutes, like it was the smaller lineup with Brogdon. And I thought just they just did a good job covering him one on one and basically forcing someone other than Harden or Embiid to beat them. Yeah, and they really did. Like the Sixers had eight three-point attempts in the fourth quarter. Six of those were from non-hardened guys. Over eight. So Celtics, and some of those were tough looks, but some of them were pretty open. I thought, especially when uh, the Celtics were big, I thought Philadelphia found some opportunities to get really good corner threes there was one play when Embiid like posted up on Horford and drew him close to the bucket close enough to draw Rob over and then found Tucker for a wide open three and from the Celtics perspective you're just gonna have to live with some of that to to try to slow down Embiid and just hope that Tucker doesn't kill you and he was two for seven from three so that battle definitely went in Boston's favor and then they they went to Yang, who hit a couple threes, but obviously the defensive drop-off from Tucker to Niang is is not small. Niang's Niang got was, like he's got like three good defensive possessions in him every game, though. He comes out and battles. 
And then they realize, oh, wait, this is uh, the minivan, George and Yang, and we, they can't keep him out there. But I always respect his his feistiness that he comes out and plays with every single game. Yeah, he's not like a total target or hasn't been a total target in this series, at least. But there's definitely a, a big difference in their um, defense I when, thought the- when, when he's out there. And then also it's offensive rebounding. Like Tucker can be a real force. On the offensive glass, the the one piece that I thought the Celtics did a great job tonight, just six offensive rebounds for Philly, which is I thought Rob did huge. a major major impact on that. Just like he's creates, he had uh, I guess nine rebounds tonight, but he just is like such a such an elite leaper that he's just going to be in the in the mix for every single kind of rebound scenario. And so I just thought like there there's a clear impact in the game. And it just made their defense feel a lot better. I mean, 76ers scored 22 points, 21 points, 30 points in the third quarter, which I think was the Celtics' worst performance. But that, I felt like, had a lot to do with uh, their kind of their turnovers and things like that. And then only 13 points in the um, in the fourth. It just felt like they were defensively a lot more locked in. And obviously, that you know, finishing possessions, getting the rebound, Generating more turnovers tonight, they actually forced the 76ers to into 11 turnovers, five from Harden, four from Embiid. It just felt like the the game was obviously, I think, I called a little bit, or they, they let them play physically, and I thought the Celtics kind of uh, took advantage of that and, and just did a good job. And I think that's kind of like, it's going to have to be the formula for Game 7. I think they're going to have to, Joe Missoula's, I think, in, inclination is to play kind of like wide open three-point launch in basketball but maybe in the playoffs and I guess kudos to him he's been being criticized rightfully so um uh he just kind of made the adjustment and, and it was like all right we're gonna we're gonna win this on the defensive end and just try to like eke out buckets uh on the other end so I guess you got to give credit uh to Missoula there for like I guess ma- making that adjustment and being willing to make that adjustment in game six uh, yeah I, I think if uh that, obviously, that was a big call, and they've basically been small most of the season. There was a stretch in the middle of the season where Robert Williams started a bunch of games in a row, but then he got hurt again and ended up getting out of the lineup, and they just decided, we're going to go small, we're going to go with skill. And so they never really played Robert Williams and Al Horford that much this season. It was only like 300-something minutes with the two of them, never mind – all the starters together, it was like less than a hundred minutes. Um, but obviously those guys, like they did it last year. They know how to do it. And just defensively, especially defensively, like that is easily their best option. And unless a team has spacing threats everywhere, which the Sixers just do not, <laughs> they like almost do. They can't, they can occasionally. But not quite, yeah. It, it changes from game to game, but they don't have a consistent fifth guy to be a spacer at there. Um, the thing is very interesting to me. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but the players' reactions after the game, where it felt like they got, everyone got asked, like, so what was your reaction to uh, Rob Williams starting? And they were just like, Est- ecstatic, fantastic. I was so amped. It felt like the players had been like pleading with Joe Missoula to go with Rob Williams in the starting lineup for like a month. And they're just like, finally, he listened to us. But it was just like, 
I don't know. I don't think Derek White's going to be uh, actually insulted by this, but like the player's reaction was just like pretty wildly like, finally, finally, Joe has done this. And it felt a little strong. I don't know. You were you were there in the room. What what was your impression of their reaction to the Rob news? Yeah, they were super excited about it. And I think uh, well, so my take on it is that after game five, the Celtics just needed a to quote Jalen Brown, a, a shift in energy. Like, they really got tight in that game, and it was clear, like, they just kind of faded, and it, I don't think it was like a a lack of effort, intensity, whatever. I think they wanted to win so badly that they just kind of lost their spunk when the first quarter went wrong. And so they needed to shift their energy. They needed to do something different. And I felt like that change let them know, like, gave them the confidence, like, our defense is going to be incredible today. And so you could tell all the players were just, like, over the hill happy about it. <laughs> they were, I'm sure they're just happy to win also. They did something – tell me if I, I – uh, I'm making things up. You're the brilliant basketball mind here. Uh, did they switch up how they dealt with pick and rolls? It felt like when Harden was coming across this, like, uh, or using the screen or Maxi, they basically just like send a guy with the weak side to meet him there and just kind of didn't let the, the, the Harden or Embiid get kind of comfortable shots there. So I think, I think it's something you it's, it's easier to do when you have kind of Robert Williams lurking on the weak side, but it does feel like they just were a lot better in their pick and roll defense tonight. And I feel like obviously playing the more defensive minded lineup and having the energy shifted and to use your phrase, ha having all of their spunk, I think uh, added to that. Yeah. And obviously like <laughs> they still were on the ropes um, <laughs> and for Tatum, maybe that stuck with him longer. Like I need to be perfect. And, for him, like you gotta, like it's it's hard to overstate how disappointed he was after the way the finals went last year, and so I'm sure going into Game Five, he just felt so much pressure to to make this year different. That didn't go well for the Celtics. This game did not go well for him at all. And then he hit the one three from the corner, or maybe maybe it was like the free throws he got early in the fourth that just kind of got him untracked. And just from then on, it was like it was like he just started breathing. <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> like he finally started breathing, caught his breath a little bit, and took the Celtics home. So yeah, I mean, obviously their hope now is that they have enough to go home in game seven do it one more time. This has been like <laughs> just just a brutal loss after brutal loss for like every team in this series. <laughs> yes. Like game 1 was just Celtics allow Harden to hit the game winning three. G game 2 they just Embiid comes back but they kick the shit out of the 76ers anyway and the 76ers probably started to doubt themselves. Game 3 Celtics like dug deep and played a great game. Game four, then Philly comes back, and it looks like the Celtics are going to end the series, basically, go up 3-1. Philly makes, like, just barely enough plays. Jalen leaves Harden. And then game five, the Sixers just 
kicked the shit out of Boston in Boston, just kind of a stunner. And now this, and I don't know what to expect in game seven, but the Celtics should probably play better at home than they have for most of the last two seasons in the playoffs. You would, you would hope so. You would hope home court advantage has uh, something, you know, means anything. But I, I tweeted out something similar. It was like, I have zero idea what's going to happen in game seven. Like nothing would surprise me at this point, anywhere from a 20 point Celtics victory to a 20 point uh, Sixers victory. Like at this point, the series is just like, you don't know what you're getting from game to game that it, I mean, I I guess that's why sports are cool because you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I, anything else from the actual game before we get to the post game locker room comments that you want to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. Um, Derek White's three was huge. <laughs> Derek White had a three when everything was falling apart. And I thought that was a big shot. It won't really get discussed because it was just a random moment in the third quarter. And he didn't have a huge game or anything like that, but they needed that three. And then Malcolm Brogdon, I just thought his three threes in the first quarter when Philly was trying to regain the game were just kind of clutch shots early. To, to stem the momentum, to keep Boston ahead. And it took Philly a lot longer to actually gain control. And I really thought, I really thought the Celtics were dead. I was convinced the Celtics were dead. And then they rose again. I mean, yeah, they other, I, I was just looking up to see if I had that white three in my notes, but yes, in all caps, white hits a three, all caps. Thank you. With multiple, multiple exclamation points. I think it was like 62, 62, uh, in the third quarter, but that was pretty big. Other things, I thought James Harden played like continues to be much better on defense than his reputation gives him credit for, just like making good plays with his hands. Um, Three steals, and then Rob one of Williams, them was really impressive. Oh yeah, the 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 main one I think there it was like actually actually right after the white three, um, we reached out and just kind of grabbed it. My other big note from the game is that Rob Williams, I know he loves jumping. Well, you just can't jump on an Embiid pump fake with that three-point line. Like you should not do it. You just live with any time Joel Embiid shoots a three, it is a win for the defense. You just can't. You can't let that happen. That's a bad decision. That was bad. Um, also bad. Tobias Harris. Yeah, didn't do it. He didn't do it. Like he had a couple steals, but I can't remember anything else he did in this game. Did he even play? <laughs> 42 minutes, 42 one of minutes, seven, two points, two points, minus 10 wild stuff. Uh, what'd you think about them shortening the rotation and just not using Grant or Sam Hauser or anything? It was just like, it was basically just six guys. Derek White only played 19 minutes. Um, I think that's kind of the, the natural thing to do when you go double bigs. Um, because then Robert Williams and Al Horford, instead of playing just 48 minutes between each other, you're going to play them another like 15, 20 minutes or whatever it was together. I'm not sure exactly how many minutes they played together, but they're going to play each ad- additional minutes, um, probably like eight apiece or whatever. And so that just takes away Grant Williams. I didn't think Grant Williams was good in game five. I actually thought his defense on Joel Embiid was pretty destructive in the second quarter. (laughs) I think it was, in fact, bad when he fouled him on two consecutive possessions. Yeah, so 
I that's I, I don't think it it really meant like they're totally out on Grant Williams, the experience forever. But if you're going to go big and you're going to play Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, they're going to get most of the bench minutes. And then Brown, Smart, and Tatum are obviously going to play a whole lot. Uh, so that's just natural. All right, let's get to the post game. Who do you like? Uh, first, I just want to deal with Mal- uh, Malcolm Brogdon, just seemingly trying to compliment Marcus Smart, just called him a fringe all-star, which I thought was just like, not it's generally, it's accurate, but you don't need to sit, call him a fringe all-star. It just feels like a little a little rude. Um, but Who said who's a fringe all-star? I, I missed that part. Brogdon was talking about Marcus Smart, and he's like, oh, yeah, he's just a he's a fringe all-star, but he took this team to the finals out there, so he's the point guard we need. And I just thought the fringe all-star part was a little bit unnecessary. A fringe all-star is a big compliment for Marcus Smart. He's never made an all-star team. I know, but just it feels like it's a little insulting. You could have just used a different cliche, Malcolm Brogdon. No, I, I think that, that was a compliment. Give, give him some credit there. All right. Uh, let's get to Marcus Smart's comment, uh, which made me laugh hysterically just talking about Joe Missoula and he just I was like, stunned when he said it. I could not believe he said it. <laughs> give give the people the full quote. <laughs> so he was asked about the lineup change. So he wasn't even asked about Missoula and <laughs> and said I was ecstatic about it to be able to have Rob in there. He changes the game a lot. Yada yada yada. And that just goes to show you Joe's learning just like all of us. I know he's been killed a lot, rightfully so. <laughs> rightfully so. He needs to make some adjustments, and he did that. And that's all you can ask for. Just continue to be the best he could be, and it takes everybody. It's a full team effort. So that was that was wild. Uh, and I didn't – so it's especially interesting coming from Smart because after game five, he had – an interview with Steve Bullpet where he went to bat defending Joe Missoula. Um, and, and he's been Joe. Marcus has been a vocal supporter of Joe all year long. Um, so for him to, to speak out like that after the lineup change, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, and I don't, I, because it's Marcus, I'm guessing he didn't mean to like call out Joe and no, shit on him. I think it was more like a just like you know everyone gets criticism when we lost last game, but just but the way it that was, was like a killer line, just a killer. He's been killed a lot and rightfully so. And look, <laughs> Joe Mazzula has has said he's a, he apologized to the players for not taking the timeout in Game Four. Um, it's clear that. He decided the small lineup was not the way to go in this series, at least to start games, and went to it a lot more. So, And then it, it gives different context maybe to what Jalen Brown said after game five, which when he was asked about last season going into Milwaukee for game six, and he said last year is last year, it's over with. <laughs> and maybe he was like, we ain't the same team, but tonight they went back to being closer to the same team just with better guards off the bench or yeah, better guards off the bench. So I don't know. <laughs> that was just a while. You should have seen my face when Marcus <laughs> smart said that, because I was like, why would he ever say that after a huge win? Just said, I know Joe has been killed a lot and rightfully so he needs to make some adjustments. And he did. I, I think he was actually trying to stick up for the guy. 
Um, yeah, he was just trying to say this. But like, he said no. it the the worst possible way, and uh, and it was it was pretty funny. That combined <laughs> with all the players just being like, "Finally, they played Rob Williams." Just made me think, like, man, they do they just been like second guessing Joe Missoula this entire time. But I thought that was uh, that was pretty funny. All right, let's get to Jalen's post game press conference. Um, it's always fun when he calls a uh, one player calls out the other team for flopping. So I thought that was a a nice little spicy quote from Jalen Brown. And then the real spicy thing was where he echoed what you said after game five and basically been so like TD Garden fans have been dog shit uh, this entire playoffs. And was like, we need that energy in game seven. Bold move from Jalen Brown, but I like it. I like it a lot. Just challenge them to be better at game seven. Yeah, they need to be better. It's been a weak crowd. As we've talked about, uh, it was a funny move from Jalen. I appreciated it. He's right. They need to be better. And I think after a game like this where the Celtics totally redeemed themselves, the crowd should be better. Um, I mean, they need to. That was, that was a weak, weak crowd in game five. But Jalen noticed, and he wants to change it. And, Jason, well, did Joe Missoula say anything interesting? I don't remember. Did him or Jason Tatum say anything? Uh, Joe said that he loved Jason Tatum. Oh, yeah, that was so frustrating. Just throw in a trust there, Joe, and you'll be on message. It's not hard. You love him and you trust him. Tatum said he also loves Joe. Um, Oh, that's nice. So this was, I don't know. Maybe this is just a a random read because of how the result went. But it felt like this was a test for the Celtics to just kind of regain who they are. And their confidence. And like it, it felt like these last couple of days just felt like there was a lot of tension around the team. Um, they canceled shoot around, which they never do. They, um, it just felt like there was a lot of tension around the, the team, the organization, everybody just kind of doubting everything for the first time. And, and they needed to dig deep to, to regain their faith again, I think. And so this was just kind of a, a journey toward that. We'll see if it's it's one of those moments where they break through and keep it. We'll see if Philly comes into Boston and kind of changes that. But it really did feel like the Celtics just needed to to find a different groove. And and it took them a while to like really feel it, especially Tatum. But but maybe the the breakthrough there will just change things for them. Who knows? Are you saying that they got their groove back? It's possible. Possible groove returning to the Boston Celtics. Who knows? Maybe uh, they're like the Emperor and got a new groove. Who knows? We'll find out. I think Sunday they'll probably play at 6.30, given how much the Phoenix Suns are getting waxed on their home court for the second year in a row right now. Uh, but I think that also depends if another series goes game seven. We shall see what happens. Jay and I will be there to break it all down live from the garden after game seven, after a wild game six tonight where Jason Tatum is bad for three quarters and then scores 16 points, outscores the Philadelphia 76ers in the fourth quarter entirely. The Celtics force a game seven. It will happen on Sunday. We'll be there to talk about it. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks to everyone for joining us here on the app. You know what's funny, Jay, is that I like 
don't think we swore as much on tonight's podcast as we did as the in-person podcast. Yeah, we were a swearing our, bunch. Grady our, came up to me today and said, I, I, I knew you, you didn't realize how much you swore until, <laughs> until you had to realize it. And that is true. Yeah, I'm saying that now, but I also was not tracking it whatsoever. Uh, and so who knows? But we'll be back. We'll probably swear a bunch after the Game 7 podcast. He Hopefully. gave us permission to swear tonight. Oh, well, fuck yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sean Grandy. Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening. We'll be back after Game 7. And thanks, Anything you guys. Anything is fucking potable. Well, you kind of stepped on my line there, but I concur. Anything, anything's uh, goofing potable. Damn it. All right. <laughs> <laughs>